want to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives to share their top tips for success with you. Uh, my name is Adam Torres, and you can follow me on Instagram at, at AskAdamTorres to keep up with the book tour, the book launch, all of that good stuff. Um, really excited to have Eric Holtzclaw on the line today. He is the dojo master over at Liger Partners. Uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. All right. So first thing first, before we go into the normal format of the show where I ask you about your background and we get into what you do, um, the name, Liger Partners, give it to me, please. (laughs) So Liger is a reference to the movie Napoleon Dynamite. So a Liger is basically the most powerful animal ever. It's a combination of a lion (laughs) and a tiger. And uh, my business does both marketing and operations. So often a uh, company's looking for what we call a unicorn marketer or you know, someone who knows a lot about lots of different things. And we don't think unicorns exist, but we do know that ligers do. And so uh, we, are, we are completely based on that. We announced on January 17th, which is also the same day that the uh, Napoleon Dynamite premiered at the, uh, at the Sundance Film Festival. So that's oh my gosh! I I absolutely love this um, because I love that movie number one, but number two now the Liger is like immortalized. If it wasn't already now, now it will be forever. I love it. That's right. All right, so let let's all right let's um I, I had to get that out of the way um because I was curious um so let let's get into your background. How how did you get started as an entrepreneur? So at the age of five, I either wanted to be president of the United States or I wanted to work for IBM. And so in college, at the ripe old age of 18, I ended up working at IBM and <laughs> realized that I actually hated IBM. It was not the kind of thing for me. I was, you know, seven to four and kind of all the shift work, and I ended up in an entrepreneurial company. So when I left IBM, I went to work for a company that had been started by a bunch of ex-IBMers. And I met a guy there that was a serial entrepreneur, and he introduced me to the concept of kind of building your own career, doing your own thing. I followed him to several companies back in the kind of dot-com era and then have started businesses since then and never really looked back and have never held a kind of a traditional job since. Oh, that's awesome. And um, so if you were if you were looking back at you, you know, just graduating college, um, what kind of advice would you, you know, in hindsight, of course, of giving yourself on, on that entrepreneurial path? Well, I think that the thing about college and, and students goes kind of two different directions. You know, you go to college and then you try to get experience. The thing that was helpful to me is that I was co-oping through college. So I was participating in, like, I would work one quarter and then go back to school the next. And that helped me to define what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. What I learned is the degree I was getting in computer science, I didn't want to sit behind a desk every day and program computers. Mm. And I may not have known that if I hadn't gone out and gotten some practical business experience. So it's really about not waiting, you know, until you get to this point to decide you're going to get those experiences because you never know how you're going to tie back into them. Like, I, I was the um, editor of my school newspaper, both in high school and in college, and now I use a bunch of kind of journalistic uh, techniques to the work that I do, and you never know what's kind of tie together. So you can't think academically and then think from a business perspective. You really need to get into the business part of it sooner because that's going to help you decide both what you might do in school, what you might choose later, like those, those kinds of things. It takes a chance, too, because you've got, 
you're never you you never have more freedom than at that point in your life, right? You're not married, you don't have kids, you're not carrying a mortgage, you're probably driving around a clunker car. Like that's the time to go take some risks because you become more and more risk adverse the older you get. I love it. And, you know, that word risk, I would say probably, and, and for the listeners, the loyal listeners that have been with me for a while, you know, I, I don't prep people and tell them to bring up risk. Like, this is not it. This is all organic. This is what people talk about. And why? Because it's the truth. Like, risk is a thing. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, Eric, in terms of time-wise. I mean, you know, for some people, they, they choose to go that route when they have, um, you know, a lot of risk on the table. But in my mind, and, you know, they, they already have all those other things that you mentioned, which do complicate life in terms of becoming an entrepreneur. But I agree with you. If you're young and you just are getting out or you're thinking about it, I mean, when are you? when is life going to be easier for you to potentially take on some of that risk? Probably not, not 20 years later, just throwing that out there. Um, yeah. No, I love it, Eric. Well, and, and one more point on that. You know, people mm-hmm. talk about being an entrepreneur being risky, and I, I think working for someone is riskier because they have the chance to fire you, like they're in charge of what you make, like there's all these these things, these boundaries that are in place that you're, you have no control over. At least as an entrepreneur, you know, you if you lose a client or you lose a customer and your product doesn't work, you have the opportunity and the freedom to do something else with it. So the more I think about it, the less I feel that entrepreneurship is as, quote, unquote, risky because at least you're in control, right? You're in control of either the failure or the success of what you're doing and you can't really put it on someone else and they can't place guardrails around your potential success. Yeah, and and really sometimes and not everybody. I think I think as a society we're maybe um we're the that whole intrapreneur concept is really taking hold and the idea of being an entrepreneur within a company. I think if somebody has that mindset, they have a little bit less risk because they're actually learning uh, they're going about their position and their role in a different mindset to the point to where they are learning how to survive and how to be an entrepreneur within the context of obviously some guidance, which there can be some benefits there. Um, but if you're out there and you're really dependent on that paycheck and you don't have the ability to survive outside of having a quote unquote job, um, and you don't develop some some bit of that entrepreneurial spirit on whatever level you're at, then I would agree with you 100%. You are taking a risk. So meaning, you know, if the next meltdown is worse than 2008, then, I mean, how does that look for you? I don't know. I don't know how that, you know, I I know for entrepreneurs that have maybe been up and down quite a few times and have have a different um, mindset on wherewithal and how to earn um, they are. They can be better situated just from the skills that they develop. Not even talking about the actual business. Maybe their business goes under. I don't know. Maybe it, it, it benefits from a downturn. It just depends on the entrepreneur. Depends on what they're doing. Depending on you know how they pivot during that time. But that ability to even pivot as an entrepreneur, that's a muscle. Like that's that's like like oh, yeah. you even just yeah. change, you even just changing your brand to lighter partners. I mean that's a muscle to make that call yeah. to be yeah. able to do that. That's not something you just woke up and well, let's do that. Yeah, to the outside looking <laughs> in maybe, but but no, I know that that there was a bigger strategy and and thing behind that. Like it wasn't an accident. <laughs> Well, one of the things I wanted was a fun brand. So a lot of the brands I've built before have been more boring. And this is, I'm just kind of like, I wanted just to be fun. So we're having a lot of fun with it, which is 
that's the reason my title is Dojo Master. So <laughs> I think that's a perfect transition. Let's talk a little bit more about Dojo Master. Who are your clients and how you're helping them? So we are kind of a two-sided engine. I, I tell everyone that I'm a recovering technologist because I truly went to school for computer science and things like that back in the day. And nowadays, marketing is a lot about technology, which is why people who go to school for traditional marketing degrees or kind of a traditional marketing approach often get lost in the, the woods of all the technology that's available to make that work. And you really have to bring a bunch of things off of the table to get it done. And then the other thing with marketing is it's not a mystery. It's about building an operational engine that does things over and over again. So you want to take your marketing and instead of thinking that you're sort of spending money on a slot machine, you, know, you put money in a slot machine, you may or may not get something back. You want to turn it into a vending machine. So when I put money in, I know what I'm going to receive back. So we take this very strategic approach to the companies that we work with. We primarily focus on B2B and best kept secrets. And we look at what makes them unique and how can we amplify that. And we build systems around their marketing such that they're predictably producing the types of content, ads, promotions, things that they need to get awareness from new customers and also stay top of mind with existing. So, you know, it's not a mystery. We're just going in and making sure that uh, they're doing the right things in the right way and that they're putting the right, the right stack of technology and approaches together. So let, let's add a little bit more to that because, you know, I have marketers on here from time to time and, you know, and we hear common themes, but can you put a little bit more to that? You don't have to give a client name, of course, but just an example of like of a, of a, of a, a problem area or something that's a way that you help the client just so I have, we have some more ideas. Yeah, I mean, we take customers where we may just be tactically managing a part of their marketing piece to ones that are doing the overall strategy. And what I run into, and the reason we don't call ourselves an agency, is that an agency will look at a problem that someone's having for marketing, and they, they basically have the same hammer, right? So, like, if mm -hmm. I'm a social media agency, I'm going to sell you social media. You're like, hey, you need social media. You don't have it. Or if I uh -huh. take content or if I do PR, we look at the company holistically. So, we'll have a company that comes to us that has a brand that needs to be redone. You know, we got to redo the website, and we start to put the right tactics in place to move them towards a strategy of acquiring new customers or like we've got a nonprofit we're working with that needs a larger donor base. So it's really about diagnosing the, the company where it is and then prescribing the right types of things to get it to the next level. Our clients, you know, run the gamut from a fundraising company to one that does guard security to one that uh, is in the, uh, the, the CBD space. So we've sort of got this wide range we're doing similar things for each one of them, but only prescriptive to what they're trying to, to what kind of success they're trying to find mm -hmm. on the marketing and sales side. So you've been in, I mean, you've been in the industry a long time and I, and I, I like your balance because a lot of marketers maybe don't have as strong of maybe the tech side. Um, so, or, or vice versa. A lot of the tech side maybe don't have some of the creative side. I do get the um, impression that you have both between yourself and your team. Um, are there any trends for that? That's why I'm asking this question. Are there any trends that you see going on right now that you're like, ah, like a lot of people are missing the mark on this one? Yeah. Like if you evaluated a hundred yeah, yeah, people and you're like, and you're like, ah, this, this again, this again. This, I, obviously it's not for everyone, so but <laughs> So what I think that we see a lot of is that people focus on these vanity metrics 
And a lot mm-hmm. of those vanity metrics come from things like Google Analytics, like how much traffic are we getting to the site, and how many likes did we get, and how many people shared it. And that's really not the game anymore. We've had a little bit of a backlash on social media in general. People know the game. They know that if they come to your website and they do anything, you're going to follow them around. So they may go after uh, – they may look – they're going to look you up in all the other places before they end up on your website. So we're very concerned often with, you know, a, a company that's starting to show us, oh, here's our Google Analytics trends, and here's this and here's that. Well, that tells you what, but is that quality? Like, are those the people that you want to attract? And they may not even be coming to your website. You may need to send them to a landing page or some other location in order for them to learn about your brand in order to trust you. The B2B buyer has made over 70% of the decisions before they pick up the phone, call you, and optimize to visit your website. And they've done that in places that have nothing to do with sort of your standard website digital properties. They're looking at other things people have written about you. What does your glass door rating look like? Like you have to look at it holistically and think about it from a kind of how you make that customer buy from you, not how you sell them. So um, we still have a lot of people focused on sort of the wrong metrics. And they oh, man, I, I, I love that. I love that tip, and if you haven't done it, and I, I don't normally do this, but but I got an assignment for you, Eric. If you haven't written that really well, like long form article on vanity analytics, I really think you should, because you have the you you have the ability to do it, and I think that like you, I I wasn't even going along those lines with what you answered, but I think your answer is ten times better than what I was thinking. Vanity analytics are absolutely the plague. <laughs> They're, yeah, I mean, they're, like, they're the reason that people like are spending a lot of money and not getting a result. And the and the reason again is it goes back to what you said a moment ago about having you know having the same tool. If you are an Instagram marketer, then guess what you're going to sell every single client you have. Like that's just what yeah. you're going to do. You're going to sell Instagram. Why? Because that's what you know. It doesn't mean you're doing a bad thing, by the way. You're it's just that if your followers or if whatever metric you're looking at on that platform isn't necessarily your strongest suited, is that your right spend? Like there's just so many channels um, and the yeah. vanity of it. And I love that term. I didn't even know that was a term. I, I'm, I'm a fan, vanity analytics. <laughs> so please yeah, write that article and I, will, and I will like it and share it and everything else. But LinkedIn's prepped for a real good – long form infographic vanity analytics metric thing. <laughs> You're like, oh I come on this guy's podcast, he's giving me work. What's going on? <laughs> I love it. No, that's right. <laughs> I love it. Well hey if um so Eric, I could talk to you all day, but is there um how how can people reach you? So if people want to get in touch, they want to learn a little bit more about what you do, what's the website or what's the best way for them to get in touch? So they can go to www.ligerpartners.com. So that's the, the website, of course. They can follow me on Twitter. I'm at eholtzlaw, and that's my most active platform. It's my favorite, other than Slack for internal conversations. So I'm not an email fan, but love Slack and love Twitter. Uh, and they can call me, 404-375-2235. I'm always open to talking to someone who may have a question and is trying to evaluate where they're going with their marketing and, and what they're trying to do. But uh, I appreciate you uh, having me on your on your show and All right. getting a chance to talk to your audience. 
Thank you, Eric. Really appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to having you back sometime. And to the audience, thank you for listening. As always, um, listen to this episode again and, and think about vanity analytics. So are you and making decisions uh, for your company based off of metrics that maybe aren't getting you the return on spend that you want. I mean, that's that's something for you to go back and and kind of dig into your files and see um, and see what's what's actually going on. And if you have any questions, Eric gave his information. Uh, feel free to reach out to him directly. And uh, thank you. Until the next time, have a great day, Eric.